Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Trenaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. It's 2020 and we're picking up where we left off. Is another financial crisis on its way? And is the U.S. federal government debt and our current repo markets indicators of how it will play out? Join Roger Trenaden now as we kick off Season 2. We at UCLA Extension wish all of our listeners a most successful 2020. Several have asked why our previous podcast focused on the little publicized repo marketplace. We will explain more thoroughly why this marketplace is so important in understanding global money flows, U.S. interest rates, and overall financial market stability. You may want to replay Episode 6, which begins to introduce a bit of important background including references to the near-global financial meltdown about 10 years ago that bankrupted Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, Countrywide, and many large savings and loans. This past trauma related to the securitized mortgage marketplace that very few people knew about back then. The repo marketplace today has the potential to create another global financial crisis Let's start with the fact that our U.S. Treasury conducts auctions all through the year to sell Treasury bills, Treasury notes, and Treasury bonds needed to finance the operations of our federal government. We are so used to borrowing to spend that few realize that our national debt has increased almost five-fold in the past 20 years and that it is now much higher than our entire annual gross national product. As you know, each year the federal government now spends more than $1 trillion more than it takes in from personal and business income taxes and other revenues. We owe over $23 trillion of federal government debt, and this amount is increasing by more than $1 trillion per year. Expressed in a more tangible way, next year every family in the United States will owe about $200,000 as their share of the federal government debt, and each year every family will pay their share of the interest on this debt through taxes. And about $5,000 per family per year right now is going as a part of the tax bill. We'll discuss this subject in a future podcast. Although not a part of our repo discussion, we'll also point out that the U.S. government reports its debt when it is issued, not when it is committed. For example, if the Department of Defense signed a $100 billion contract to buy new aircraft over the next 10 years but spent $10 billion this year, only the first $10 billion would impact the budget and the debt calculation. The remaining $90 billion is ignored and not part of the debt until each future year. This is unlike the accounting for public companies, which forces recognition of all future liabilities not just the part that is paid this year. As a result, the audits of the U.S. government not only point out this unusual practice, but year after year the auditors refuse to certify the quality of U.S. government financial statements. This is a different but important topic, as including future liabilities, particularly Social Security and Medicare, would show a today's present value liability of not the $23 trillion already borrowed, but a liability in the $100 to $200 trillion range, or 5 to 10 times the entire U.S. gross national product. Why should we care? 
Because the quality of our government's credit allows us to keep accumulating debt and issuing Treasury debt securities, the repo marketplace is sending us a message that new buyers of our increasing debt securities are becoming a serious issue. I recall about 10 years ago that buyers of securitized mortgage securities sniffed out a problem concerning the debt quality. Isn't that when the global market stampeded to get out of these securities and we almost had a global financial meltdown? We certainly did have, as a result, one of the worst recessions in history. Are you saying the repo marketplace could have this same kind of high risk and terrible impact? My answer is yes to this kind of global impact, but we are not there, at least not yet. Let's get to know the marketplace. And let's get to know repo securities a bit so we can better discuss it. There are only a handful of major participants in this market, so the billions of dollars are highly concentrated into few hands. More specifically, there are 24 primary dealers that are the only companies allowed to trade directly with the Federal Reserve. Some of the larger ones you would recognize, and they are Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and Wells Fargo. Large foreign banks such as HSBC, Barclays Capital, and Deutsche Bank are also primary dealers as they interface directly with their foreign buyers of government securities as well as the Federal Reserve. Here are important takeaways that are well worth remembering. The 24 primary dealers are required to make bid offers when the Federal Reserve conducts open market operations. And you may want to Google open market operations. In brief, when the Fed wants to buy government securities to lower rates, it must buy these securities through these dealers. Secondly, these primary dealers are also required to actively participate in the U.S. Treasury debt auctions that occur all during the year. So this year, as the Treasury sells billions of dollars of federal debt securities, these dealers are expected to be the initial buyers. They, in turn, sell what they just bought to mutual funds, sovereign wealth funds, foreign governments, and other holders of our debt. Third, you may also appreciate the power of this small group of dealers when you consider that they also account for 73% of global currency trading volume. That was according to the Wall Street Journal in Europe in February 9th of 2006. This is a further reflection of the concentration of market power. And lastly, for the moment, let's reflect back on the first episode of this series still available to you on SoundCloud. Quote, Every day, approximately $7 trillion moves through our financial markets, and this total is controlled by a small number of participants, end quote. We also made this point that a small reallocation of these large movements can create major changes, such as interest rate changes and even financial crises. When the above system works well, the U.S. Treasury sells its refinanced and new debt to the primary dealers, and they in turn sell that debt to investors, as I said, including mutual funds, foreign governments, and even to high net worth individuals. In a smoothly functioning system, these primary dealers that need to constantly be in compliance with reserve requirements conduct repo operations among themselves. For example, if Bank One needs to strengthen their short-term required reserves, and they might do that for overnight or might do that for several weeks, this bank would negotiate with Bank Two, who has an excess of cash and is able to lend to Bank One. However, the money actually transacts through a repo instead of a loan. In a repo, 
Bank One sells some of their U.S. security holdings to Bank Two, and they promise to buy these security holdings back at a specific date at a higher price in order to stay in compliance every day with their own reserve requirements. Until late summer 2019, with the exception of the aforementioned global crisis 10 years ago, these transactions occurred routinely from bank to bank, or more precisely, from primary dealer to primary dealer. Okay, so what changed last year that makes you want to share this with us now? In brief, more money was needed than was available, and the repo rate overnight for one day shot up from 1% to about 10%. If 10% would become the new repo borrowing rate for weeks or even months, then we'd see our adjustable rate mortgages and other short-term borrowings go up by about 10%. That'd be pretty noticeable. Imagine the turmoil that would be caused in the United States and worldwide. The bottom line is that this rate jump had to immediately be brought back down, so the Fed stepped in and they continue to do so. Why is this rate important? The answer is that all U.S. interest rates are effectively set by the U.S. government security rates. If the U.S. Treasury 30-year bond pays a 3% interest rate, you'd agree that the home mortgage rate would be higher, maybe 3.5%, maybe 4%, for the same fixed rate for 30 years. Higher-risk corporate bonds for 30 years might have a rate of 5% or 7% or even higher. Think of it this way. If a large investor could get a 3% return from a default risk-free U.S. bond, then that investor would demand a higher return to invest in a mortgage or a corporate bond. If the U.S. bond rate were to go up from 3% to 4%, then you'd expect the alternate investment rates mentioned to also go up. The same thing works on the short-term interest markets. If the repo rate goes up, it drags all the other short-term rates up. Many businesses, as well as individuals, borrow adjustable rate debt, including mortgages. Businesses often borrow at the prime rate, and the government itself borrows heavily short-term with treasury bills. At this point, I really would suggest that our listeners use the favorite search engines to find and read about not only the Treasury yield curve, but also what determines U.S. interest rates. It's complicated, but the least complex answer is that the Federal Reserve has had, so far, a strong influence on short-term interest rates, like the repo rates and federal funds rates, with their related treasury bill rates, but they have far less influence on the long-term interest rates. Billions of treasury notes and bonds trade worldwide every single business day, and the Federal Reserve itself doesn't have the ability to exert much influence on this long-term market. The longer-term interest rates are influenced by the creditworthiness of the United States and the expected future inflation rates here. In a nutshell, If creditworthiness becomes a challenge as a result of issuing so much debt and then the Fed ramps up the money it commits to helping the primary dealers warehouse what they can't sell at the low interest rates, the world could have a wake-up call like the one 10 years ago when collateralized mortgage securities became more risky. This snowballing of perceived risk and inflation expectations is what could, in a very short time, create another crisis. All the stops will be pulled out to avoid such a crisis, but the question is similar to 10 years ago. Can it be prevented? Now think about some key changes in the marketplace that are impacting repo rates and, in turn, all short-term interest rates. First, China holds over $1 trillion of U.S. government debt and they stopped buying new U.S. debt in the past year or so. 
Secondly, the U.S. government will have to sell at least another $1 trillion of new debt this year and refinance an estimated 2 or $3 trillion. Thirdly, the Social Security so-called trust fund was a buyer of U.S. debt for decades, but now is a seller of U.S. debt since the annual amount paid to Social Security recipients exceeds the incoming program fees and payments from individuals, businesses, and other payers. Fourth, unfriendly countries including Russia have turned from buyers to sellers of U.S. debt. Five, the U.S. savings rate, although higher than in the last financial crisis, is historically low and too low to finance a reasonable retirement lifestyle. But that's another issue. Lastly, U.S. pension funds are underfunded and may be expected to be sellers of U.S. securities to pay promised retirement benefits. As a footnote, the U.S. government, already running a $1 trillion annual deficit, pays approximately $600 billion a year in interest payments, a bit more than a 2% interest rate on its $23 trillion of debt. So I'm asking myself these questions, and you may want to also consider them in terms of added market risk. I'm talking interest rate risk, stock market risk, mortgage risk. The risks seem to be increasing. We have had long-standing global issues where low interest rates have not stimulated enough growth to repay the government's debt. In Japan, this has been the case for 20 years. In Europe, it's been the case for five or more years. In the United States, this is the case presently. Secondly, the foreign central banks, the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan, as examples, have been buying their own government bonds for years. They've been monetizing the debt, which is another good term to Google, monetizing the debt, which historically at some point creates so much currency that inflation ultimately becomes the big issue. A third major point, which we covered in past episodes, is that inflation is likely much higher in the United States than is publicized or officially recognized. A fourth major point to really consider is that primary dealers are unable or unwilling to conduct repo operations amongst themselves, which they've done historically. Why is this? Do they not trust that the securities will be repurchased on the promised schedule? Does one or more of the dealers have their own serious financial issues? Do the dealers have so much in their own inventories of government securities, and these are securities that are unsold, due to inadequate investor demand, that they need government help above and beyond past practices to keep buying the new government security issues? The fifth item of risks that you really need to consider involves the Federal Reserve. Since September of 2019, the Fed has engaged in some new and out-of-character financial practices involving larger and larger amounts. It's estimated now that these amounts may total a half a trillion dollars. Since we can be assured that participants operate confidentially, we don't know exactly what is happening, but whatever it is, it's not good for the financial markets, in my opinion. Number six, estimates are now that the Federal Reserve, instead of decreasing their $4 trillion security portfolio, and they bought that portfolio to bail out the banks from the last financial crisis 10 years ago, that the Fed is actually increasing their lending to the primary dealers to cover, as I mentioned, over $500 billion, and that's only occurred since last year, and more specifically since about September. 
Since our podcasts are for educational purposes, I hope I've spurred your interest in thinking about rising financial risks in multi-trillion dollar daily financial flows. These 24 primary dealers are in that small group of players that can change market directions, and they relate directly to another 100-plus global money center banks and sovereign wealth funds. If the repo market continues to be as stressed as it is, then we can expect new financial fears or uncertainties which will negatively impact our stock and bond markets. If you agree or disagree, please email me. In the meantime, I hope you'll Google U.S. Treasury Yield Curve and Google Repo Market News, as well as other questions that are coming into your mind. There's a lot to learn, and we don't know it all, but we're learning what red flags to look for. And importantly, we are looking to manage financial market risks as they build instead of suffering after some of them rapidly change comfortable trends. Next time, Roger will update you on the rapidly evolving repo market issues and discuss additional long-term trends that will help you with your financial and career planning. Be sure to email us at rtornaden at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornaden. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money. 